Hi, I'm Rob Wolf, Director of Communications at the Center for Court Innovation, and I'm in Los Angeles today with Tony Eiten, who is the Senior Vice President of Healthy Communities, which is an initiative of the California Endowment. And in fact, we're here at the uh, endowment uh, at a roundtable, or what, what's been called an executive session that's bringing together leaders in law enforcement and in public health to talk about basically what public health has to teach law enforcement. And uh, you gave a fascinating presentation at the outset about the public health approach. Uh, you broke it down into four components, and I, I thought maybe you could just uh, just say briefly again what those are. Yeah, the framework that I offered is really a disease response framework, which is sort of a, the heart of public health. It's basically trying to stamp out new and emerging disease. So the framework is four components. The first one is surveillance, trying to figure out the who, what, where, when, when a new disease comes onto the horizon, you've got to characterize it, understand how it's spread, who's vulnerable, and how you know the disease you know might move through a population. The second uh, component is disease control. How do you interrupt the cycle of transmission? What are the the basic strategies that will interrupt its movement? And that may be vaccines. It may be pharmaceuticals. It may be physical measures like quarantine and isolation. It may be using things like um, education, condoms, um, you know, needle exchange, what have you. The third element is coordination. And it's probably the most important element in public health is to essentially figure out what resources you need to bring to bear to essentially mitigate the problem, both you know, during and afterwards. And then finally, the fourth is communications. And that's typically thought of as the three Ps. How do you talk to the politicians and policymakers? How do you talk to the physicians, and how do you talk to the public? And that, so that's the, the framework, and it has applicability to law enforcement as well, particularly the surveillance and control aspects, but also the communication and the coordination. And it's interesting, I mean, there are some obvious parallels, the surveying the community, identifying where crime is, but the point you made, which I thought was fascinating, was that public health doesn't just stop at, oh, there's an outbreak here, let's treat the people. You try to dig down and find the source, and I think law enforcement at times has tried to do that, and increasingly so tried to do that, but it's it's not as much part of the DNA of, of law enforcement. And I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so that's the challenge, really. Um, to be purely reactive is really to just operate constantly in that model of, you know, essentially surveillance control, which is essentially trying to interrupt the cycle, but isn't necessarily trying to prevent, um, you know, future um, incidents of the disease, or looking at the vulnerabilities, the conditions that make a population more susceptible to a particular type of disease. And so public health has evolved and has started to look much deeper that are what's sometimes referred to as the social determinants of health. Looking at the quality of housing, for instance, that might make a disease um, you know, more easily be able to move through a population if there's housing overcrowding, for instance. Look at the quality of education, you know, what people know, and their ability to essentially to navigate you know, information, to be able to acquire the kinds of information that they need to protect themselves. Looking at the quality of employment, I mean, if people are, for instance, working at jobs that are very low pay and they don't have things like sick days, paid sick days, then they're much more likely to come to work sick, much more likely to spread those diseases, you know, at work, which could have a much more profound impact on, on the population. So trying to get to some of the underlying drivers of vulnerability in a population, 
are, is as critical as sort of just acutely interrupting the cycle of transmission because if you just interrupt it, it's like, as I like to say, if you go into a community and fires are burning and you just put out the fires, well, you've done a good service, but if you come back the next day and fires are burning in the same place and all you do is put out the fires again, well, then you're not doing such a good service because you're not recognizing that there's something that's making those sites more amenable to burn. And if you don't tackle that issue, then you're just going to be putting out fires day in, day out. Well, and how do you see that mindset and that approach transferable, if at all, to law enforcement? And I'm thinking of, you know, law enforcement already looks at data, CompStat, you know, they're quick to look at trends. What more can they do or what can they take things from, uh, you know, public health and your approaches that do seem to go deeper and, and, and you know, look at more fundamental causes of disease, but in, in their case, crime and safety issues? Well, part of it is how law enforcement is held accountable. Law enforcement is held accountable for homicides and violent crimes and sort of a reactive kind of um, mentality. And I, I think that that's understandable but a little bit unfair because law enforcement didn't create the conditions that lead to the, to the crime. They're just trying to put out the crime once it starts. So law enforcement would benefit from partnerships with public health at a minimum to try to be able to understand the root causes or the drivers of some of the high crime and then would certainly benefit in terms of getting credit for you know preventing crime as opposed to just suppressing crime if the crime statistics in fact go down. Now I think that there, there are different disciplines with different focuses but the synergy between the two disciplines is substantial and what typically does not happen is that law enforcement doesn't spend a lot of time with public health and public health doesn't spend a lot of time with law enforcement. So there's this sort of foreignness of the territories that leads to this sense that, you know, we don't do what you do, you don't do what we do. And the more time in, in the jurisdictions where I've been and those that I've seen that have had successful collaborations, they actually just spend a lot of time together. So they understand each other's sort of relevance to their own discipline. And there's a huge amount of potential, particularly when it comes to data analysis and some of the community-oriented policing strategies to borrow from public health strategies that are much more deeply rooted in, in community and in prevention um, than the typical suppressive approaches that um, many law enforcement agencies are forced to adopt. But I can see how you talk about, uh, you know, prevention, maybe in terms of environment for the transmission of an illness, like you gave examples about not enough uh, sick days and people going to work. How would that translate to uh, something that is more overtly criminal justice related, shootings, uh, any kind of pattern of, I don't even know if it does apply, robberies, car break-ins, truancy perhaps, you know, even small, smaller things, but maybe that are entry level uh, criminal issues for young people. Well, one of the things we know that correlates extremely well with, with crime is essentially idle time. Uh, kids that essentially get out of school at 1.50 in the afternoon or 2.10 in the afternoon every day and have nothing to do between that time and when their parents get home at 7 o'clock or whatever, we know, all of us have been through this, we were all adolescents at one point, that you're much more inclined to engage in mischief if you're unsupervised and you have nothing constructive to do. So we know, for instance, a, a public health approach to that problem is essentially trying to figure out youth development strategies. And, you know, very simply, you can look at things like boys and girls clubs, you can look at after school programs, a whole host of things 
where people are, young people are, are essentially exposed to graduated responsibility, you know, they're, they're asked to engage in some, you know, civic participation, they're held to very high expectations. All of those things are associated with a much lower likelihood of engaging in, in the behaviors that are associated with crime, and by the way, with um, illness, like sexually transmitted diseases, car accidents, and the like. The ability for law enforcement to participate, to forge relationships with young people in communities at that stage, and it's sort of a pre-adolescent stage, quite frankly, is the most optimum time for that kind of relationship to develop, so that the, the youth not only is actively engaged in constructive activities like the Police Activities League and a variety of other you know, police-oriented after-school programs, but they also have a different perspective on law enforcement. And they don't necessarily see them as a threat. They don't necessarily see them as the enemy. They'll see aspects of, of, of leadership in law enforcement that they may want to emulate themselves. And that in and of itself is a crime prevention strategy. It's just a very simple example of sort of a public health approach to crime prevention. Certainly many police agencies around the country have already uh, invested in these kinds of activities for young people. Typically for kids that are a little bit older, and we think that you know getting to that pre-adolescent stage is really critical, but that's an example of, of a public health approach to crime prevention. And I'm just thinking of one other thing. When you, when you speak about public health, when I think of public health, I think of, you know, if there is an innovation, a vaccination, or a, a strategy, and if it's proven to work, it seems to just spread like wildfire. Everyone does it. It's understood to be the best practice. Uh, you're not going to let a disease spread if you right. understand how to handle it. Whereas in law enforcement, it seems to me, you can look at, and someone said here at the meeting, oh, uh, you know, Director Malekian, of the director of the um, Community-Oriented Policing Services Office at the Department of Justice, said, you know, if I say to someone, what's uh, community policing, do you do it? Everyone's going to, all the chiefs are going to raise their hand, but if I ask them to write down what it is they're doing, they'll all say something different. Right. And I wonder if there isn't something there as well that they could learn from uh, public health in terms of uh, it being more of a science and you sort of accept, I mean, I don't, I'm not even maybe even aren't articulating it well, but it seems to me that there's a very cultural difference there where you're dealing with a very fractured uh, understanding of how to do things in terms of law enforcement versus public yeah, health. Yeah, I, I think that there is some truth to that. I do think that public health and health in general is much more scientifically rigorous in, in the approaches that it pursues. Um, that's not universally the case. I mean, there's a lot of stuff done in health and public health that is still kind of anecdotal. But in law enforcement, there doesn't seem to be as great a culture of essentially peer review, you know, scientific rigor, and there's a much more sort of anecdotal flavor to a lot of the approaches that people take. And there's, I think in the, in the sort of the political sphere, there's much more emotionality about law enforcement issues, about, you know, crime can be very emotionally, you know, rending, and, and people want sort of very immediate um, solutions that don't necessarily look at long-term investments to, you know, to, to reduce likelihoods of, of youth participating in those kinds of activities. Well, you know, I want to thank you very much for taking the time. Sure. I know you're busy and uh, you're off to do something else. I've been speaking with Tony Eiten, who's a senior vice president of Healthy Communities, which is a program of the California Endowment, which is one of three co-sponsors of the uh, executive session that uh, we are at today here in Los Angeles. 
Uh, the other co-sponsors are the Center for Court Innovation and the Community-Oriented Policing Services Office of the Department of Justice. Uh, I'm Rob Wolf, Director of Communications at the Center for Court Innovation. Uh, to find out more about the Center for Court Innovation, uh, visit our website at www.courtinnovation.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you.